Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from one of our pastors. All right, well, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Cooper, and I am the Outreach and Connection Pastor here at Greenwood Baptist Church. And today we will continue in our series in the book of Acts. Uh, But before we get there, uh, we want to spend some time praying for one of our church members. And uh, her name is Rachel Coburn. So Rachel was diagnosed uh, with leukemia about a year ago, and she has uh, been going to treatment after treatment, and uh, nothing is really working. And so Rachel has made the hard decision to uh, live out kind of her life on hospice so she can have some quality time uh, with her family. And one of her wishes was to take a uh, horseback riding uh, trip with her family. And they went to a company and did some horseback riding yesterday. And unfortunately, Rachel was bucked off the horse and crushed one of her vertebrae. And so, as you can imagine, an extreme pain, and it sounds like they will not be able to relieve that pain until they get into surgery. And my understanding is that today uh, they are hopeful to get into surgery. And so, Pastor Brian, even with everything he's dealing with, wanted us to take some time and pray for Rachel, her husband Clay, and their family. And so, please pray with me. God, we just come to you today, Lord, and we don't know what else to say other than, God, we just pray for the Coburn family. God, we pray for Rachel to be able to find a surgeon today, Lord. We pray that that surgery will relieve her of some pain, God. And Lord, we just keep on praying, God, that you will just provide a way and heal Rachel, God, not only of her back pain, but God, we pray still for healing of her leukemia. And God, we pray uh, and just thank you for them and how they have really just shown us what it means to have peace that passes understanding. And God, I just thank you for the example that they have been walking through these terrible times in this terrible year and having a, a rooted faith in you that, again, just passes, the peace passes understanding, Lord. So God, we pray for them, God. We pray and just thank you that, God, even if you choose not to heal, Lord, that it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we know that Rachel will receive a new body, God, that she will be healed ultimately, see you face to face because of her relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray that that will become more real to all of us, that one day if we know you, that we too will receive new bodies and see you face to face. And God, we just thank you for the example again that Rachel has been during this hard time. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, Rachel, if you're watching, we want to wish you a happy early birthday. Her birthday's tomorrow, and we're praying for you, and we love you. All right, well, like I said, we will be in Acts, uh, continuing our series in Acts, and today we're going to start in Acts chapter 19. Now, I know if you're a type A personality, you're already thinking, no, 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 no. We were in Acts chapter 19 last week. We should at least be in Acts chapter 20. And some of you guys are getting kind of the picture in your head like you see in the movies where, you know, there's like a $2,000 wedding cake being carried out carefully, and then a dog sees a squirrel or something, and the dog's like, and hits the person with the wedding cake, and the wedding cake starts falling, and everyone in the room says what? No! But that's not what's happening here today, because we're going to start in Acts chapter 19, but by the end of the sermon, we're going to be through chapter 21. I'm going to get us through two chapters today. Can I get an amen? 
All right, and so now the movie analogy is less like a cake falling and everyone screaming, no, and more like us running a race together and finishing first place and getting through the ribbon and everyone's like, yeah. All right, so you ready to do this? All right, well, we will start, like I said, in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. Uh, And as we walk through these chapters, what we're going to see is that Paul is going to receive a specific calling on his life as he's doing ministry to go from where he is in Ephesus and to go ultimately to Jerusalem. And we're going to study how Paul interpreted calls on his life how he persevered in this call, and how even when bad things happened to Paul, God used them for good. And for us specifically, we're going to look at three questions about our lives, and those three questions are, number one, how can we interpret God's call on our lives? Number two, how can we persevere in that call? And number three, how can bad things that happen to us end up being Good. And so, like I said, we'll start in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. In the context of this passage, Paul has been preaching in Ephesus for a while. And the Bible says that his ministry in Ephesus through the power of the Holy Spirit has been wildly successful. In fact, it makes the claim, and it almost seems like every single person in that area has heard the gospel. An amazing thing to start uh, in a new land and the gospel saturate this area so well. And so we pick up here in Acts chapter 19, verse 20, and if you'll please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. It says this, So the message about the Lord spread widely, and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. May God add blessing to his word. You may be seated. And so here we see Paul, he receives instruction from the Holy Spirit to go to a few places, but to ultimately to go to Jerusalem. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Paul is that he was very good at understanding God's specific calls on his life. And I think that if I was going to tell you what the number one question that I get as a pastor is, I think it always has to do with something like, what is God's call on my life? Or how do I know when God is speaking to me? Or how do I know what my next steps of obedience are? If you've ever wondered that, just so we're all in this together, if you've ever wondered something like that, would you just please raise your hand so we can show that, yeah, you're not alone. It's a very common question. And recently, I've kind of counseled with some people that are a little bit frustrated. Like they don't feel like they can understand God's voice in their life. And they don't think that God is speaking to them. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you in this, that Romans tells us that in our flesh, we cannot even discern spiritual matters. And so just the fact that you are asking the question, what is God's call on my life? Or how do I understand God's voice in my life? Or what is my next step in obedience? Just the fact that you are asking this question is evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving in you. Because your flesh wouldn't even know to ask the question. 
And so you can be encouraged that if you have ever wondered that, that is actually God drawing you to himself, hopefully to give you specific instructions on your life. But one of the things that we see with Paul is that he put in spiritual disciplines in his life that he did over and over and over again that I think made him a little bit better at understanding God's call on his life. And so we're going to focus on four of those main spiritual disciplines that Paul put in his life, and hopefully it will be encouragement to us to continue or to start putting these spiritual disciplines into our life to answer this question, how can we interpret God's call on our life? So the first thing that we see with Paul is that Paul was a man of God's word. Paul was a man that immersed himself in God's character. He understood God's word. In fact, in most of his New Testament writings, if not all of them, he was not making a case or an argument out of human reasoning. In fact, he usually, or like I said, always quotes from the Old Testament to prove his case. He was a man that understood God's word. He applied God's word. He interpreted God's word. He was a man of God's word. And if you know anything about Paul's past, you might be saying, yeah, but Paul was a Pharisee. Like, part of the requirement to be a Pharisee was to memorize the first five books of the Bible. If not, there's some evidence that he had the entire Old Testament memorized. But if you remember what Paul said in Philippians, he said that everything that he had gained before he came to know Christ, he actually counted it as loss. And so what I take that to mean is that even though maybe he memorized the Old Testament, he still had to do the work of interpreting Old Testament passages through the power of the Holy Spirit to apply it to New Testament churches. And we see this in all of his New Testament writings. He says, yes, you might have thought the Old Testament passage was teaching this, but it was actually teaching this in a New Testament covenant post-resurrection. Paul was a man of God's word. And one of the things that I love about God's word is this is his voice to us. This is God speaking to us, and this becomes a great litmus test to any specific calling that you might think that God has given you. Because if you perceive the Holy Spirit as ever calling you to do something that is contrary to God's word— then you must know that that had to been like a, a moldy piece of cheese that you had eaten that gave you some sort of weird dream because God will not contradict himself. In fact, some pastors kind of make the joke that if you want to hear God speaking to you, make a mouth out of the Bible and say, oh, okay, yeah, all right, just read it out loud to yourself because this is God's word spoken to us. And that's not to downplay that I do believe that is biblical that God will give us specific callings on our lives or specific instructions, but it has to be compared to God's word. And the more we are in God's word, the more we are in tune with the specific callings on our lives. The second spiritual discipline that I see in Paul is this, is he was a man of prayer. He opens up many of his New Testament letters saying, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this city. I've been praying that God would glorify himself in this way. In fact, you've maybe heard the term pray without ceasing, 
which is like super hard to do, right? <laughs> but that comes from Paul written through the Holy Spirit in, in Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Paul was a man of prayer. And I think that much of him being able to understand specific callings on his lives, like the one we see in Acts chapter 19, to go to Jerusalem, was because he was a man who was in communication with God constantly through prayer. My prayer life kind of hit the wall, hit a wall uh, this past February. Um, in fact, I, I can just tell you, for lack of better words, I think my prayer life just kind of stunk this past February. <laughs> and one of the indications of that was that every night when I was a child, I would pray the same exact prayer. And I would pray, thank you, God, for my mom, thank you for my dad, and thank you for my dogs, Sparky and McDermott. Well, as a 34-year-old man this past February, I lay my head down to go to sleep, and I'm like, oh, I, I need to pray. And guess what I prayed? God, thank you for my mom, thank you for my dad, and thank you for Sparky and McDermott. And this was an indictment on my prayer life because guess what? Sparky and McDermott have been dead and gone for 15 years now. We all rose our hands to make each other feel better that, you know, have we ever, we've all asked that how can we interpret God's call in our lives? Has anyone ever prayed for their dog that's been dead for 15 years? No? Just me? Okay. So this was an indictment that my prayer life stunk. And then this past March, I've talked about this before, but I got to go to India, and, and I was staying with pastors in, in a building. And every single morning, I would hear the pastors praying, and I would hear their prayers going up into heaven. They were men of prayer. In fact, they, I mean, this is India, they're not very well off there, but they had designated a whole room in their house just for prayer. And I'm sitting there listening to their prayers. I have no idea what they're saying, but I can tell that they are powerful prayers. And I go to the lead pastor, and I'm like, hey, I've been praying for my dead dog. Like, can you tell me how I can kind of get my prayer life back into shape here? What are some, like, three steps that you can give me to, to help my prayer life? And he kind of looked at me with frustration. <laughs> and he said, three, three steps. I'm not writing a book here, Austin. And he said, here in India, if I don't pray, I don't survive. And he said, how could I ever expect to receive instructions from God if I'm not in constant communication with God? Communication with God leads to experiencing God, and experiencing God leads to receiving instructions from God. So the first two spiritual disciplines were being men and women of the Word of God, being men and women of prayer, and the third thing that we see in Paul, a spiritual discipline that he put into place, is that he was a man of the church. And something that I've always appreciated with Paul is that although he had an apostolic calling, meaning that he was going out into brand new lands, bringing the gospel, a new message to new people, where there had never been that work done before. So he had an apostolic calling, a very lonely calling, but Paul never did it alone. In fact, he would receive callings and he would usually bring along two or three other brothers and sisters in Christ to go with him in these new lands. 
And not only that, some of the churches that he even planted, when it got mature enough for there to be elders, he would actually submit his calling to the elders of the church. He fleshed out his individual calling within the body of believers. We see this in Acts chapter 13, that before he's called to go out into new lands, the elders of the church in Antioch, they lay their hands on Paul. Not in some sort of weird ceremony, but laying their hands on Paul, what they are doing is they are saying, we see your call, we affirm your call, and we identify with your call to bring the gospel into new lands. And the elders, by laying their hands on him, they were saying, your calling is not just your calling. Your calling is also our calling. Your successes will be our successes. Your sufferings will be our sufferings. You see, even though Paul did receive specific callings on his life, it was always fleshed out within the church, within other believers or the community of believers. And this is true in my life as well, is that when I received a specific call in my life, to be a pastor with a specific emphasis on helping churches show God's love in practical ways. I did not receive that call and say, cool, I'm going to do that all by myself. In fact, the very first thing I did is I went to Pastor Brian and my youth pastor, Pastor John. And I said, this is what's happening. This is a call that I think is happening in my life. And you know what they did? They pointed to the Bible. They said, this is a biblical calling. We affirm it. And then they laid their hands on me and prayed for me and sent me out. And at that time, I didn't even know I would end up working for my home church here at Greenwood. But I understood that even though I had a specific calling on my life, wherever that brought me, whether that was the eastern side of Africa, Asia, or Dallas, that my calling was not alone, that it was fleshed out within my home church in a local body of believers that were able to affirm it, confirm it, and send me out. You see, our calls are not just for us. They are connected to a church. First, the fourth thing that we see in Paul is that he was a servant. He was a man that served. And I love that Paul, he understood that there are universal callings that all believers have, and then there are specific callings that God might put on specific people's lives. And what Paul did is he did not wait to get a specific calling before he started on his universal calling. And what I mean by that is that the disciples of Jesus, when Paul converted, they would have told them that in Matthew 28 and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus gave a call to all disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we see with Paul is that he was following that universal call that all disciples had, and then while he was serving in that universal call, God then gave him specific calls to go here, or to say this, or go see this person, or to share the gospel in this land. Paul followed a universal call. He served, and while he was serving, he then understood his specific call. And this is an encouragement to us that sometimes when we want to hear God's voice for our life, 
We just kind of sit back and wait. But what Paul shows us is that many of times we need to serve in our universal call first. Chiefly, there's many of them in the New Testament, but chiefly to love God and to love others. And while we are serving in that universal call as all believers, then many of times God will give us specific calls on our life. I had kind of a, a weird freshman in college experience, and so I moved away and then decided to move back for a semester. And while I was here during the semester, I, I knew that I, I wasn't going to want to just kind of sit around. So I went to uh, the youth pastor that was, that's still here, John Hartman, and I said, hey, I, I love my youth experience, and I want to serve within the youth ministry. And I said, you know, usually youth ministries, the people that are working in, in there, they kind of have like cool nicknames. And so I said, I've come up with a cool acronym, Youth Activity Coordinator, and I could be called the Yak. And John looked at me and he said, you're a 19-year-old kid, I'm not going to let you coordinate anything. But he said, you know what, I've seen that you're gifted in helping people feel comfortable, and so why don't you just kind of come along, hang out and hover, shake people's hands, make them feel comfortable in the youth group. I said, that sounds awesome. I said, so you could say that I, I am the youth activity facilitator, right? He said, yeah. And so I said, great, I'm the YAF. And so for six months, I was the YAF. And I wasn't even called to ministry yet, but it was within this understanding that I wanted to love God and love others and just serve within the church that after I was serving for a while, I then started feeling God bring out some of my passions about outreach, about preaching. And he started drawing me towards ministry as I was serving in a universal calling. Don't sit back and wait until you get a calling on your life. We all have universal callings that are found in the word of God. And so we've answered how can we interpret God's call on our life and the second question that we're going to look at is how can we persevere in God's call? So Paul has received this word from the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And as he is going to Jerusalem, he is going to get a lot of discouragement, not even by unbelievers, but actually by believers. And so we're going to see how he perseveres in this calling to go down to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 21, verse 4, we're going to see the beginning of this discouragement. And this is Luke writing, talking about him and Paul and the others. Chapter 21, verse 4, it says, When we went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week, these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 10. Several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And so here we see Paul receiving a call to go to Jerusalem, and then everyone around him is crying and telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. In fact, even the writer of, of Acts, Luke, is telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. 
And we know through uh, this next passage I'm going to read, there was weeping and kind of crying, and they're saying, do not do this. And this is a scene that I think I see just about every single week in the preschool hall area. Like, there's some dad that's like, I'm going to drop this baby off for the first time in this preschool hall. And the mom's like, no, no, not my baby. And the baby's like, no, mama, mama, mama. And the dad grabs the baby, and he's walking down. And let's just be honest. Sometimes if your baby's already crying, even the preschool hall teachers are like, no, not the baby, please, not the baby. And that's basically what's happening here. Everyone is crying and screaming at Paul, don't do this. Don't go to Jerusalem. And this is what we would call Paul's crisis of faith. In the book Experiencing God, written by Dr. Blackaby, he makes the biblical case that anytime biblical people, or also us, receive a calling on our lives from God, we will be met with what is called a crisis of faith. And this is discouragement from within, discouragement because of circumstances, or discouragement from others. And we have to know how to persevere in that calling through crisis of faith. And I think that we see Paul give us the key to how we can persevere in this call in the next two verses. In Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 13 and 14, But Paul said, Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, he gave up and said, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. You see, Paul, he persevered in his calling even through his crisis of faith because he knew it was God's call on his life to go down to Jerusalem. He understood that this was the Holy Spirit's call on his life to not be discouraged, but to go to Jerusalem. And this gives us the key here that when we are trying to persevere in our calling, we have to be certain that it was God's call and not just some sort of moldy cheese. And that's why we spent so much time on this first point, because when you are walking through discouragement, when you're walking through possible persecution, when you're walking through suffering because of your calling, you have to be certain that that calling came from God, and you have to be certain of what it is. You know, this passage is a little bit awkward because it says that the Holy Spirit actually lifted up these people to discourage Paul from going down to Jerusalem. And so we do have to ask the question, why would the Holy Spirit lead others to question Paul going to Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit is the one that told Paul to go to Jerusalem? And I think that this answer probably deserves a little bit more time than I have to give it today. But the simple answer, I believe, is this that I believe God sent these people not to discourage Paul's call, but to solidify Paul's calling. And I've seen throughout the Bible and in my own life and other people's lives that sometimes God will send other believers to affirm your calling, much like I said Pastor Brian and Pastor John did to me, but sometimes God will send other believers to question your call in order to solidify your call. 
Does that make sense? God will send others sometimes to question your call, not to discourage you in it, but to solidify you in it. When I was called to uh, be a pastor with an emphasis on outreach ministry to show God's love in practical ways, uh, I was at uh, Dallas Baptist University at the time, and I was finishing up my uh, college courses, and I was switching all my college courses from becoming, I wanted to be a, a speech teacher and a soccer coach, and then I was switching everything to go into ministry. And my communicate, I was majoring in communication, and my communication head of the department, she was a wonderful woman of God. Uh, She would raise up and help pastors communicate better and then send them out. And when I told her what I wanted to do to be a pastor that helped churches get out and show God's love in practical ways, she looked at me and she said, Austin, I would not do that. She said, You are being foolish. No one's going to hire you to do that. My own outreach mentor, an an author that is basically an outreach guru, I I went and lived with him for a summer, learned everything I know about outreach. He taught me everything I know. That was kind of during the time when Pastor Brian felt led by the Holy Spirit to bring me on to to do outreach here at this church. My My own mentor, outreach mentor, Steve, when I told him I was going to work here in Weatherford, he kind of looked at me and said, really? I always kind of thought that God was going to take you to like Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco, not kind of a rural area. Even my own parents, my very godly people on my spiritual Mount Rushmore, I wouldn't say they discouraged my calling, but they definitely asked me some of those parental questions that I didn't have a lot of answers for. They're kind of like knives through the heart. And I need to, I wanted to tell you that while I was walking through some of this discouragement by other believers, I knew God was calling me to this because I was certain about our first point. I had heard God's voice on my life. I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor with an emphasis on outreach. And it was during this time period that I look back now and I think that God actually raised up these people, these believers, wonderful people of God, not to discourage me in my calling, but actually to solidify it. Because nothing solidified my calling more than being questioned. And the cool thing here is what we see Luke say in the end of 14. It says, when it was clear that we couldn't persuade Paul, we gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. Now here's the truth. If other believers are questioning your call and God has even raised them up to do that, many of times when they see that you are certain about what God is asking you to do, they will stop questioning it and they will actually support it. That same uh, professor at DBU, she became my biggest advocate. She helped me understand how to communicate better, how to cast vision, how to be a better preacher. My outreach mentor, he actually came here to Weatherford and actually helped me uh, gain a, a, a strategy on what outreaches would work best here in Weatherford. My parents show up to outreaches all of the time. They serve. They, in the early years of me being a pastor here at Greenwood, they helped financially help support us and help us get onto a place where we were comfortably 
financially. You see, all three of these people, they went from questioning to becoming some of the biggest supporters of that calling. Because when someone is sure about their calling, you can persevere through anything. The third and last thing is this. How can bad things that happen to us because of our calling end up being good? So Paul will end up going to Jerusalem. He will go to the temple in Jerusalem. And then the Jews in the temple will start accusing him basically of blasphemy, of bringing Gentiles into the temple, and of trying to basically destroy Judaism. And so the text goes on to say that they will actually grab him and start a riot, close the gates of the temple as they are trying to kill Paul. Then a Roman commander is called in to try to help uh, kind of make everything better. And in verse 33 in chapter 21, we pick up there. And it says, Then the commander arrested Paul and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him onto their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind him, shouting, Kill him, kill him, kill him. And so we see that even though Paul was following his call to go to Jerusalem, really bad things happened to him there. In fact, I think we could look at this and we could say, man, there is no good happening here in this text. Well, one thing that we have to remember is Paul's own words to the church in in Rome. In Romans 8, 28, he says this. He says, and we know that God causes everything, not just good, not just bad, but everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And here's the important second part that sometimes we we miss out on. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, in Jerusalem, where we see only bad things happening, God sees his perfect plan for Paul's life coming right into place. Because if we back up to Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus tells Paul that he will be his chosen instrument to take the gospel to Gentiles, which we've seen Paul already do, to the Israelites, which we've seen Paul already do, and then to kings and to rulers, which we have not seen Paul do yet. And here in Acts chapter 21, when Paul is arrested by the Roman commander, Basically, from here until the end of Acts, he will be preaching the gospel to ruler after ruler after ruler, to governor after governor after governor, as he is being transported as a prisoner over to Rome. And church history tells us, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but church history tells us that there's an indication that Paul got to speak the gospel to Caesar himself. And some of the evidence is here in the New Testament that it says that many of the household of Caesar were believers and they were with Paul when he was in house arrest 
in Rome. And so we see bad things happening here in Jerusalem, but God saw it as the beginning of the fulfillment of Paul's calling to preach to rulers and to kings. And not only that, it was during this time period where Paul was arrested to the end of his life that he wrote over half of his letters that we now see in the, Old, in the New Testament. In this time period, from his arrest here in Jerusalem to the end of his life, he wrote Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. All over the world today, there are probably thousands of sermons that are based out of these letters. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are probably getting saved today based from these letters that the Holy Spirit had Paul write during this time period of his arrest. You see, again, when, God, when we see only bad things happening, God sees his perfect plan falling into place. You know, I've talked a lot about callings today, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the first call that Jesus places on your life is a call to simply come to him. And in Matthew, Jesus opens up his arms to a lost and dying world, and he says, Come to me, anyone who is heavy burdened and laden with sin, and I will give you rest. And so if you have not started a relationship with Jesus, the Bible is very clear how we can start a relationship with Jesus. And here at Greenwood, we like to say that there are ABCs of coming to know Jesus. That we must A, admit that we are sinners. It's Romans 3.23 that says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the first step is to pray to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I realize that I have broken your laws. I have fallen short of your glory. And then the B of the ABCs is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans chapter 9 verse 10 says that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that God rose him from the dead, then we will be saved. And so we admit that we are sinners and then we be, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. And then the C of the ABCs is that we confess him not only as Savior, but also as Lord. That we say, God, I want you not only to save me of my sins, but I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to repent from the sins that I am currently in and run towards you, not only as my Savior, but also as my Lord. Here in a second, I'm going to pray a model prayer which is a prayer that is inviting Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sins and to become your Lord and Savior. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you, if you're ready, to pray this prayer with me, accepting Christ and forgiving you of your sins. So if you'll please bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to accept Christ today, you can pray this prayer with me. God, I realize that I am a sinner and that I've fallen short of your glory. 
but God, I know that you loved me enough to send your one and only son. God, I believe that he lived a perfect life on this earth without sin. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. God, I believe that he came back to life, resurrecting three days later. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart to not only forgive me of my sins, but also to become my Lord. And Jesus, I'm committing my life to you to follow in your footsteps for the rest of my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just said that prayer for the very first time, would you just kind of look at me? Maybe raise your hand up so I can see you. If you said that prayer for the very first time, will you look up at me? Can I see Anyone else? I see <laughs> Whether you're in person or you're online, if you just made that decision to follow Christ, we want to encourage you by helping you walk uh, and understand how to walk with Jesus. And there is a number on the board or on your screen. There's also a QR code that's in your bulletin. And if you made that decision today, we would love to know that you made that decision. And you can text SAVED to the number that's on your screen or on the board up here, or you can scan that QR code. We're not going to ask anything of you. We're not even going to ask that you join the church right now. But we want to have someone contact you to help you understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for... Your word, God, we thank you for the way that you're using our church. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Brian and his family and the way that you're using them just to have this church following your spirit into callings that we couldn't even perceive ourselves. Lord, we love you. We look forward to the baptisms, the new building. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.